Hey, Think Really viewer and listener, thanks so much for joining our podcast today. We're here in sunny Tampa, Florida. Uh, every time we do an event, we also uh, bring in our guest live. Uh, it's so much better to do live uh, podcast interviews versus doing it all over Zoom. And I'm excited about our guest here. We'll get to it in just a second. Um, but this episode is brought to you by Ashcroft Capital. Ashcroft Capital is a multifamily investment firm. They target value-add Class B apartments in the Sunbelt market and partner with accredited investors. Visit ashcroftcapital.com forward slash Travis. You can talk to Travis about investing in B-Class apartments. Uh, you can go there to learn more. All right, today our uh, distinguished, amazing guest. Well, don't go too far. <laughs> is, uh, is my friend Chris Ragland. And uh, Chris, uh, we've been good friends for a long time. And uh, obviously you've meant a lot to this space. Um, we've worked together a lot. We've had a lot of conversations. And then I've watched you, you know, kind of more in an institutional, you know, corporate role. And then I watched you kind of go off and build now your own empire, which is really exciting. Um, and I just want to first say thank you that I appreciate all that you meant to both the lending industry and the investment industry. You've been such a, a friend and confidant. I appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks a lot. That means a lot coming from you. Cool. Well, let's jump into uh, the current marketplace. Um, obviously, on the mind of every real estate investor are interest rates and uh, squeezed uh, yield returns, um, uh, fear and you know, intrepidation. It, so many of the investors that are in the marketplace today did not experience, and it's, it, it's always shocking to me that you feel like everybody has been through 08 to 2010, or even like early 2000s, like when I started investing, and the reality is, is most people haven't. Like this is all new territory for them, and there's a lot of fear. And I'm curious not to know the stats that you know, but to he hear the feeling you have about the current marketplace. Yeah, totally. Uh, when did we become the old guys again? I, we definitely have made it. I think yeah. we're, we're on that side <laughs> yeah. now. Yeah. yeah, and you're right. It's You think everyone went through 2008. That's mm -hmm. not true. And it's certainly not true that everyone went through the early 2000s, right, right. where they had the significant you know, dot-com corrections that were sure. going on in the markets. They haven't, you know. And for me, a lot of my mentors were drilling into me like the savings and loan crisis of the mm -hmm. 80s. Sure. You know? So I think about these things when I'm looking at the marketplace. I wasn't surprised when you know the Fed came out and said we're going to raise interest rates three quarters of a point. Sure. I'm not going to crystal ball it right here, but I won't be surprised if they raise it a full point. Right. Um, I just that's a possibility. That's mm -hmm. on the table, and it has. It's created um, kind of a lightning rod for discussion. Mm -hmm. Everyone's going, okay, inflation. We're talking about you know nine percent. Are we going to creep over double digit percentage points as we go into the end of the year? Sure. Possible. How do I hedge against that? Right. I'm seeing more people right now, particularly not even high net worth, like they're borderline accredited, maybe just mm -hmm. a below the line. Sure. They're more interested right now in where can I put my capital, and particularly in a, in a real estate strategy, to hedge against inflation. Sure. More now than I've seen in the 22 years I've been doing yeah. this. That's the biggest surprise for me is that people are hearing a message that this inflation is real, my money is worth less tomorrow than it was today, how can you help me? Mm -hmm. Now's a great time yeah. to be raising money. Yeah, there's a lot of people out there that are weighing today the, the fact that they need to keep more cash than maybe what they thought they needed to because the cost of living is more. However, if they keep too much cash, it's just eroding, right? And, you know, there's a lot of pundits and loudspeakers out there that are saying stuff like cash is trash and all that stuff. Like, and that's been going on for a while. 
But the reality of it is, is we do face a massive inflation problem and there's probably no true end in sight, you know, uh, depending on maybe the political structure, like we may see some relief in gas, we may see some relief in fossil fuels, maybe, but in a capitalistic society, when you can get $4.50 or $5 out of a gallon of milk, it's probably not going to go back down to $2.50. Mm -hmm. Like that's, that's the free market society we live in. And so, you know, it just costs more. Let me give you a couple of stats. I want to hear your, your thoughts on them. Then we'll jump into what you do. There's still a current inventory crisis. There's demand currently on single family rentals at about six and a half million homes that buyers desire, desire to buy even after the interest rates were risen or, or, or higher and raised. Can't say correct <laughs> words. And, but then there's still six and a half million um, home buyers that are desiring and feel entitled that they deserve a home, right? Like 1960s, the whole entire American consumerism changed and now they deserve this asset. It's not, I need it, it's I deserve it. Yeah. And I'm gonna buy whatever I, my monthly payment can afford, right? And so they deserve these assets. And uh, interesting stat though, if we go up 0.75%, which is what we just, you know, the, the interest rates just gained, we still, if we go up 0.75 again in the next you know, couple of weeks, we still are underneath of where we were during the Obama administration, okay, from an interest rate perspective. Number two, we have six and a half million homes that are still, you know, demanded by these people that feel entitled that they need their house and, and it's theirs, they should have it. Number three, uh, the average person is feeling the pinch of about $450 increased expenditure based on inflation. However, the average American is making $1,300 more per month than when they were in the Obama administration. These weird stats are like kind of hitting at all areas, right? And I'm curious to know just your thoughts on, because it seems like, you know, Einstein said that five, a five variable, pro, five variable problem you can't solve, and it feels like we're in a five variable problem. You know, like it's like this stat and this stat points to like, well, we should be growing, and this stat and this stat points to, well, man, we're, we, the bottom's going to fall out. Mm -hmm. You know, how do you how do you gauge all of these statistical anomalies and go, well, this seems to be true north? That's a good question. Like, how do you derive uh, a final kind of conclusion out of all of that? And you know, you're talking about interest rates creeping up, inflationary issues, lack of inventory, wage growth, right? So that's the five yeah. variable equation. So it's okay, I get it. How do you really come up with an answer on that? I don't think anyone can truly come out and say this sure. is what's going on. Um, I do an exercise. I've actually never really talked about this before. Um, Wait, yeah. exclusive right now. This is it, We're exclusive. Never talked about this before in the history of mankind. Right, right no. Just wait, in, get out your pencil. At least in my history. Um, I really make it a point to talk to groups of people that I don't normally socialize with. Okay. Um, that could be politically, sure. that could be um, interests, mm -hmm. it's different things. Um, when I'm trying to determine where are we as a people, mm -hmm. um, I deliberately go out, break outside of my social norms and communicate with people that think very differently than me. Mm -hmm. yeah. I may disagree with them or they may just think differently and I don't even understand them. Sure. The point is I want to go out and survey um, very, very different constituents or people mm -hmm. that are involved in the marketplace. And from that, I derive, I think, you know, through my, it's a gut reaction. Sure. Because I know I can't just use a math formula and the data and say, right. this is where we're headed. Nobody yeah. can. 
So what's better than that? It's trusting, you know, evolution and my instinct. Yeah. I'm trusting my experience and canvassing a social groups mm -hmm. and saying, okay, I think I have an idea of where this is going and then mm -hmm. I'll act on that. Now, of course, it's gonna be guided by data. Sure. I'm not gonna go invest in a marketplace where I know there's an oversupply of housing. That would just be stupid. You know, those kind of things. Um, or I'm not gonna build a business where I need to sell paper on a volatile secondary marketplace sure. overnight. That's yeah. also not very wise unless yeah. you're back with your own capital. Sure. So that's actually how I do it. But one of the ways that I behave, um, you kind of, it's a good segue into kind of what I do. I look at this and I'm like, yeah, there has been wage growth. Mm -hmm. There is an undersupply of inventory. I like to focus on residential marketplaces, mm -hmm. right? Um, I like single family residential. I like multifamily um, residential. I like hospitality focused residential. Mm -hmm. That could be everything from a, an Airbnb up to, for me, I like small hotels, right? So I like anywhere that you're gonna lay your head at night and go to sleep, mm. right? It's kind of the, the fundamentals of need, right? Like food, water, shelter. Exactly, it's, it's Maslow's, right? So mm. it's like, okay, what do we need? I need a place to live. I'm not gonna give that up, or it'll be one of the last things I choose to give up if I have to give up mm. something, right? Sure. Um, I mean, people literally, I don't know how wise this was, but during the you know Great Recession, people were giving up their cars before their homes, sure. right? Because it's a psychological reaction, even though maybe they needed their car to go to work, and right. they could have rented or moved in with roommates, sure. but keep your car, right? That's actually not what happened, mm -hmm. it was the other way. Mm -hmm. um, so kind of cr crazy when you think about the data, but yeah, that's why I focus in residential real estate. Um, I'm just real passionate about that because we all need a place to live. Yeah. You want to hear a funny stat real quick? Hit, throw it totally off topic. Okay. Do you know what the the only consumer product that was that had a less rate of delinquency than mortgages or rent? One consumer product. Do you know what it is? One consumer product. I do not know. Cell phone. Cell phone. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? It's not. We, I mean, think about this. I mean, we're so chained to these things, right? It's like, are, you think they're going to let the that delinquency well? bill on their cell phones oh my during the last recession oh my was, you know, less than mortgages. That that's not an inflated stat because of the Obama phones, though, right? <laughs> it may have been, yeah. <laughs> I don't like, know. Those little like ones with the big giant buttons on them, <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> the bumblebee phone. Oh my yeah, gosh, that's cool. great. So you have moved into this space, and I know that it's been fun to watch you over the last few years, kind of build your own empire. You mm -hmm. always worked for others and mm -hmm. help build their empire. But now Ragland, you know, you've got your brokerage and you've got all these things. Tell me, you know, what is it that you're focused on today? What's the big primary focus? You talked about residential, multi, mm -hmm. single family. Um, and, and how are you servicing these people out there that have, you know, dis disposable capital for all sure. intents and purposes that they need to put into yeah, and right now the motivation is coming from a place of fear and unknown mm -hmm. is preservation of capital. They're not even concerned with growth, mm -hmm. right? Income strategies, all that's out the door. Right now the investor today that I'm talking to is, okay, how do I preserve my capital? Sure. Which is meaning growing along with inflation, that's preservation. Um, the thing I'm focused on, and you'll have a lot of respect for this because of some of your other business affiliations, but we're really focused right now on building better processes, mm -hmm. um, documentation, sure. automation, the people, that's really the core. And you're right, we're fully integrated, so what does that look like for us? We're the brokerage, the development company, the management company, and even the property and casualty insurance. So it truly is a full circle for yeah. us. We're, we're all in-house, right? Yeah. I don't need to farm anything else out. And I but you don't go all the way back down to wealth, the capital management. It's more no. of like, you, you basically will partner up with somebody then to use your vertically integrated sources to right. essentially deploy their capital. Correct, and that's usually high net worth, 
ultra high net worth and we work with family offices. Mm -hmm. So family offices behave a little differently. We're pretty good at working with those types of groups. Yeah. We're not a wealth manager. I'm not an RAA. Uh, you know, is that like your disclosure you do? Yeah. Like, like yeah. I'm not an attorney? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so no. We are an alternative investment facilitator. Mm -hmm. That's really what we are. And sure. real estate is one of our core yeah. uh, products that we offer. Yeah. If you said by, by percentage, what do you think you allocate towards real estate versus all other asset class? You know, it changes over time, but right now I'd say it's like 75% real okay. estate. A function of that is, of course, my level of comfort mm -hmm. um, and experience in that place, sure. uh, in that space. Also, though, the groups of people that I have, you know, interacted with for two and a half decades mm -hmm. know me as a real estate guy. Sure. So I naturally attract more people who tend to be interested in real yeah. estate. And deal flow comes your way, too, because you've been in real estate, right? All I mean, the time. You yeah. and I see deals yeah. all the time. Right. We're trading <clears throat> deals, showing each other. I'm yeah. like, this is a cool deal, but not yeah. in my space, right. you know, that kind of thing. But yeah, I'd say 75% of the time it's in real estate. Yeah. Um, not to get too off topic, I mean, obviously everybody on here is probably a real estate investor, but what other you know, places are you looking at? What other you know, cool opportunities do you yeah. have? Yeah, so I got right now um, that I've fully vetted out that we enjoy working with. Also, that's a big part for me. Like, I'm at the point now in my life, if I'm not having fun, I'm not doing it. Right. You know, it's not going to work. Um, so we have three other buckets that are fully vetted. And part of that vetting, by the way, is I have to be part of that team. Mm -hmm. So I might be the chief investment officer, I'll sit on the board. It's not a referral. I'm not just raising money for a sure. third party and right. shoveling it over there. Um, so there's three of them, right? So one of them is actually student loans for mm -hmm. commercial airline pilots, Sure. right? Yeah. So I do that with a, a guy that yes. you and I both know very well. Um, so we're actually raising capital for that. That business is really interesting. Yeah. The return rates on that look amazing. They are amazing. And it's primarily because it's a relatively new industry. Yeah. Not the pilot, like, you know, pilots going to school sure. to get their pilot's license for commercial pilots. Right. That's old. What's new is no one's ever thought about creating a student loan product for that specific group of sure. people. And turns out- And it's a high ticket item too. Well, guess who our number one competitor is for, for, for student loans? American Express. <laughs> no you idea. nailed it, it's credit cards. Okay. Yeah. Literally, that's what people have been doing. So like right. this whole time, like if you wanna get your pilot's license to be a commercial pilot, you put it on your credit card. Mm. So when that's what I'm up against, 24% or whatever, right. it's like, yeah, we're gonna make you some good compete. money. Yeah. So that's the first one, we're doing quite well with that. The second one, um, this one's not for everybody, obviously, but I'm also uh, involved in a cannabis company mm -hmm. um, in California. Growth facility? Only in California. Okay, growth facility or? <laughs> no, no, so we are actually another vertically integrated company. Okay. Um, and California does it kind of strangely, shocker. Mm -hmm. um, they have a license for everything. Sure. We have every single license and we operate in every single space with okay. the exception of grow. Okay. So we actually buy the flour and then from there we do everything else. Yeah. We do the extraction. All the way to distribution. Product manufacturing, okay. wholesale and distribution, the yeah. whole whole nine yeah. yards. So that's the second You also one. have retail as, as well under that? We have yeah. the license for yeah. retail, which is what you're required to have effectively to do delivery. Yeah. You know, yeah. so we wholesale it to stores. Sure. You can find our product in every store that has a legitimate license. We actually, you know, we're very by the book. Um, and then we actually, now we're rolling out delivery, like yeah. delivery to your door. Wow. Yeah, there's a lot of regulatory. DoorDash for pot, huh? 
It pretty much, yeah. But I mean, there's like signatures and ID verification. It gets very complex very quickly. Yeah, I was just messing yeah. with you. And then the That's last right. one, which is a little bit more, um, even more exotic, I would say, from a financial standpoint. But I do some uh, international private equity stuff. Okay. Um, got a couple of businesses in India mm -hmm. that are kind of, call it as a product as a service or software as a service. Um, different types of companies. So okay. we have unique relationships with people that are from very wealthy families in India who get kind of first rights into these big investments mm -hmm. and we come alongside them and we invest with them. And Interesting. That's been really So it's cool. not micro loans. These are like yeah, almost no. like VC overseas. It's pre-IPO. Okay. They're usually we, so we don't like pre-revenue. Yeah. That's too speculative when you sure. can't put your hand around it. And you know, we basically come in right before a company is proving themselves out to go to the public market. Sure. Yeah. Do you structure all of these investments as funds or more of a one-off syndications or how do you structure a lot of these things? Most of what I do, and it's because I have a background in private lending, mm -hmm. I like to do through funds, okay. right? Yeah. So I would say the vast majority of what I do now is through a fund structure yeah. and that Makes could sense. be a Reg D, a Reg A, like yeah. all kinds of different fund structures yeah. at this point. Let's jump back into to real estate. I'm sure that you know every real estate investor we have loves shiny objects and they may all hit you up about every one of those. <laughs> Give me a call. Which is great. <laughs> but uh, to jump back into real estate, uh, since we're called Think Realty, you know, <laughs> but yeah, I think that um, I I'm curious to know what your thoughts are for using real estate as kind of an anti-inflationary hedge. Mm -hmm. um, I think there's a deeper, more strategic reason to be in real estate today based on where inflation is. Do you have any insight on using it as an anti-inflationary hedge versus all the other asset classes that are out there? Yeah, I would say the real estate part's unique there because depending on the structure of the deal, mm -hmm. depending on the marketplace, um, depending on like just your own desire, uh, you can find deals that are perfectly tuned at anti-inflationary issues, sure. right? So, uh, for example, you know, I see some marketplaces where the rent increases are basically pegging inflation, mm -hmm. right? So when you're looking at the NOI of a multifamily unit that is increasing, literally pegging to inflation, that's yeah. a, a quote unquote perfect hedge. Sure. Um, a lot of them are beating that, right? So yeah. I live in a, a couple of places, my, Austin, Texas is my home, sure. where we're yeah. kind of beating inflation yeah. on the rent increases, right? right? It's embarrassing. Mm -hmm. We have a different set of problems. We have an affordability crisis. Sure. So there's people that are investing in Austin, not because of they're trying to make money, they're trying to be good stewards of a community and create sure. housing stock where we yeah. have this massive shortage. Mm -hmm. Naturally, there's a great place to be. You know, you're not gonna lose your, you know, your pants or your shirt right. if you're investing in a place that's right. like that, right? right. So um, yes, you can, but it has to be in the right market and structured correctly, mm -hmm. if that's what you want. I have other people that are like, all I wanna do is maximize the cash flow. Mm -hmm. They're not even looking at inflation. Sure. Have people who are like, Show me the IRR, that's all I care about. And then I have others that are purely preservation long-term. Sure. They're like, look, I wanna buy this, I don't need to make a lot of money, but I'm gonna hold on to it for like 20 years. Sure. So I want to <clears throat> plow that capital back in, make capital improvements, take care of the property. This is gonna be a trophy asset, yeah. right? So right. it really depends on what you wanna do. Right. Yeah, and I think that that's important is to, to have somebody like you that they can talk to to determine that, right? Like, because we all get enamored by a deal. And by and large, most real estate investors, if you put them at the actual property, they can't say no because th there's a physical asset in front of them they just get enamored with. It starts like, to become emotional. Yeah, I want this thing, you yeah. know? And um, I've stood in many hotels that are really bad investments, but because I'm at the <laughs> hotel, I, I, should, I should definitely buy this, you know? Um, yeah. And so, but I, I think that 
having this, those long-term conversations because there's so many people that they don't understand the tax implication and tax consequence of growing your wealth. Mm-hmm. Um, but you take a family office, they very much understand that. And it's mm-hmm. about preservation. And so mm-hmm. there's a reason why most real estate investors today are trying to get an, a five to seven year exit on their multifamily. Mm-hmm. And most multifamily offices are like, ah, we'll keep it for 40 years. You know, Correct. like it's, there's very a very different, different strategy. Yeah. And that's why everyone depends on what it is that you need. And that is basically one of the first conversations I have with anyone that ever mm-hmm. calls me. Yeah. What is your, what are you trying to accomplish? Sure. And strangely, a lot of times I ask that question, they don't have an answer. Yeah. Uh, but that's okay. I can walk people through that conversation and figure it out, like, what is it you want to do? Now let me explain to you why this strategy is good or mm-hmm. inappropriate for yeah. what it is that you're trying to accomplish. Yeah. I, the other day I got into an argument with a New York Times um, <laughs> um, writer. Like you do. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I'm curious to know your take on it. I want to know if you're going to side with her or side with me. Okay. okay all right. And by the way, we're going to tag the New York Times writer in this. Okay. <laughs> here we go. <laughs> See if there's an advantage here. Okay. <laughs> uh, so she said, Warren Buffett came out and said he's putting $18 billion on the sidelines. He's keeping, you know, he's, he's basically got dry powder. She said it shows his level of fear for the current marketplace. Mm. uh, My rebuttal to that and the argument came where I said, you've missed the point of most investors, the way we think. We're not consumers, we're investors. Consumer confidence matters to the consumer. To the investor, we think about the exact opposite way. I said, you've missed the point. I believe Warren Buffett, he doubled his wealth in 0809 from 40 billion to 80 billion because he went on a massive buying spree. And I said, if Warren Buffett's ever putting capital away, it's because he's preparing for an opportunity. I believe that he believes that a great opportunity is coming. He's going to take that 18 and turn it into 30 or whatever it is. Um, you know, we had a long argument. You can find it on Twitter and then other places. But anyway, so the... Um, dark rooms. Dark rooms, okay. yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I'm curious. I mean, like, do you see that the same way? And if so, like, where do you think a Warren Buffett... It's, it's one thing to have 10 million and try to create 20 million. When you have a billion, mm-hmm. it's statistically impossible to create two billion, mm-hmm. right? Like, I mean, like it's near impossible, right? Like you're a statistical anomaly if you yeah. can actually turn Where it are the buckets to put a billion? Right. And, and then all taxation is against you. The government's against you. Every investor is against you, right? Like if you have a billionaire, you're not getting the deals anymore, right? Mm-hmm. Like they're taking it. Like statistically, it's, it's almost impossible, right? Yep. So your thoughts on that? Well, uh, do you the, side with me first? Uh, yeah, I'm okay. going to get that out right. of the way. I do side with you. I don't think he's putting money on the sidelines out of fear. I think it's opportunistic. Yeah. Uh, I know you you think this way too. Um, however, I will disagree with, um, and I'll, I, I can, I can be wrong. I can be wrong here, but I disagree with the market assumption. Yeah. I do not believe, even what we're going through right now, that there's going to be this massive great opportunity to come scoop up yeah. in the next 24 sure. months. Sure. Um, I don't believe that personally. Mm-hmm. I think that we have entered a new era of monetary policy and basically the government is not going to allow that to occur again. Sure. And they're going to do things that are unhealthy and bad for the long term mm-hmm. to prevent the short term collapse. Hmm. Yeah. I really believe they're going to do that. And you think that started with us printing capital? A hundred percent right. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And when you see the government willing to get involved at that that level, then there's really nothing else they wouldn't do. I agree too. And I really think it goes back to 08, like the Troubled Asset Mm -hmm. Relief Program, TARP and all that stuff. Like we just got too aggressive and now it's just continuing. And now they can't politically allow it to occur. Yeah. 
they must save it every single yeah. time now. So that's where they, I think we're they've at. They've seen the, they saw what happened in 08 when they basically gave all the money to banks. We mm -hmm. still printed capital. Yeah. Um, large amounts of it. <laughs> and, but we just gave it to six banks, right? Like, I mean, like we just were like, we're gonna put it here and GM gets a piece and Ford gets a piece <laughs> and JP Morgan, like. That's it. But the average consumer, it took them two years to even feel some of that, right? right? This time they said, put it in the hands of the consumer and let's see what happens. It's, it's one of the, to me, it's one of the greatest um, like scientific experiments that we've ever seen that may go massively wrong. Yeah. For every dollar we printed, it might actually cost us two. You, right. you know what I'm saying? Like when we see like the results of this. Yeah, I think, and, and I think the, it's gonna bear out very poorly. So mm -hmm. again, I don't think there's gonna be a massive opportunity. So for me right now, there's always reason to have some dry powder, yeah. but I don't know about stacking $18 billion yeah. worth of it. Sure. I think that his play, I don't, I think we typically try to think through the lens of real estate, right? We think, oh, that's the opportunity um, that could potentially come because essentially that's what we saw in 08, 09. All of a sudden we got 1.2 million you know, homes foreclosed on mm -hmm. that flood the market and all of a sudden find opportunity. To me, I think where he, if I have to speculate, which I probably shouldn't speculate on Warren Buffett, he's the, <laughs> right. or, or, he's the Oracle, right? Uh, so yeah. like, yeah. <laughs> but if I were to, you know, um, <laughs> I think he looks more at the private equity space. It's where he always plays. And so mm -hmm. I think he looks at distressed assets that he could plug capital into to reperform them. 100%. Not necessarily real estate. Yeah. You know, I mean, he, yeah, he, he got into, he bought Clayton Homes. He got into the kind of like manufactured homes and affordable housing space. He's mm -hmm. done a lot of that. But Warren Buffett, by and large, doesn't have this massive portfolio of real estate holdings. No, he doesn't. You know? he, he, has, he has Berkshire Hathaway, which sells all the real estate, sure. but yeah. he doesn't necessarily, he, he's selling picks and shovels. He's not buying gold, you know, he's not yeah. digging for gold. So I think it's, it's an interesting thing, but I think that it shows maybe an indicator based on his previous history where some of the blood in the streets might end up, you know? Yeah, I think so too. And but remember, Berkshire Hathaway, the real estate company, is just a lead gen for his insurance business. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so. Insurance is definitely, the, and I should know that more than anything, right. be in the insurance space. But yeah, really good. Well, I appreciate um, all your takes on the market. If you had one one last piece of advice for somebody who's new, who's new and saying I have capital, what would be the first step? It's a pretty it's a pretty dangerous step. It's like you're not taking like a step that's like six inches. You're like taking like a four foot step here, hoping not to break your leg, right? Like what would be your advice? I mean, if you've accumulated a decent amount of capital and you're yeah. ready to do a deal, my biggest advice is to invest side by side. Yeah. Go work with some people, come in late to the game. Don't bet heavy, hard up front by yourself. Mm -hmm. Don't do it, just go yeah. learn, go, yeah. get in here. Get some, get some reps yeah. and learn with some people that have done a few things before. Like that's the best way to do this. I always say this, I think the outside marketplace believes that real estate investors are all sharks. I think when you get inside the real estate marketplace, you realize most of them have these like desires for legacy and they're willing to give it all away. Mm -hmm. The information. It's like I've found myself in so many situations of new investment opportunities where I say, I'll put 50 grand in this, but can I ask you a bunch of questions? You know, like, <laughs> can I find out how you, how did you underwrite that deal? What were the, what were the buying criteria? Right, right. As, and you know, by and large, if you're willing to put a little capital and they're willing to give you all the information. Yeah, you know? definitely, absolutely. There yeah. is a, a big culture of mentorship and coaching and people just helping people. Yeah, absolutely. 
How do they how do they find you on social website? How, how should they get in touch with you? Probably the the evergreen website for me would be chrisraglan.com. Uh, I'll always be there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'll have a great story for that sometime. Okay. About my domain name. <laughs> we'll have to get that to that on. The next we'll podcast. get that the next time. But All right, it's good. Very cool. So chrisraglan.com. Are you on social? I am. You can find me on Twitter at chrisragland also. Okay. Yeah. And they can so see Twitter, like all of your flights, you know, you always tag all the like thing. where you're at in the world. Yeah, I try to do that. That's cool. just me trying to get more status and free miles. Got it. That yeah. makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> Very cool. <laughs> Thanks for joining us today. I really appreciate it. Appreciate all that you do. Thanks, Eddie. Uh, one last uh, thank you to Ashcroft Capital, our sponsor. Uh, this episode is brought to you by Ashcroft Capital. Ashcroft Capital is a multifamily investment firm. They target value-add Class B apartments in the Sunbelt markets and partner with accredited investors. Visit ashcroftcapital.com forward slash Travis to learn more. Thank you so much for being a part of the podcast today. Um, again, Think Really was created to be your companion. Uh, whether we're in up markets, down markets, uh, you're going to need access to data and people that are actually doing deals. Uh, not gurus, not people that sell you courses, but people that are actually out uh, with their bootstraps pulled up and their, their sleeves rolled up uh, actually doing this work. And you can actually find out how they're doing it, watch them doing it, and you know, partner with them. And uh, that's what Think Really is all about. If you haven't been in the conversation with us, get a, a hold of us on social. Uh, that's you know, LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook. Uh, or join us at thinkreally.com. Pick up our latest magazine on the shelves of Barnes and Noble and uh, just be a part of the infrastructure and world that we're building so that we can better assist you in your investing journey. Have a great day.